Amen. How are you all doing? Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> nice to see you all. Uh, a little bit chillier, isn't it? The weather's turning. It's been an unusually clement November, um, but apparently cold weather is on the way. Um, yeah, Johnny's right. This is our, the last week uh, in our series in Acts. This has been a series in three different parts, and if you were with us, you may recall that we did part one and part two back in 2019, which is pre-COVID days. It's weird. It's like a long time ago, a different world. And now we're coming to the end of part three uh, and to the final chapter of Acts, chapter 28. So if you brought your Bibles, or if there's Bibles in front in the pews, maybe, if we're still doing that, um, or if you want to get it up on, uh, on uh, a bit of technology, we're in chapter 28. And we call the series Kingdom Life. There it is on the screens, Kingdom Life. Learning from the early church how to follow Jesus, how they learned to follow Jesus. It's an amazing book. It's been, it's been an amazing journey going through the whole of Acts, hasn't it? It's an incredible book full of just heaps of miracles, loads of drama, following the apostles as they go about making disciples and planting churches. And part three, which we've been doing um, <clears throat> in the last few months, part three of this book majors on the apostle Paul, who's an absolute hero and rock star of our faith. He's a genius theologian. He's a loving pastor. He's a prodigious writer and seemingly as resilient and hardy as a marine. And it's fitting that as we reach this final chapter, we get, we get a masterclass from Paul in what it means to live the kingdom life. A masterclass from Paul in how to follow Jesus through the ups and downs of life. Let me summarize where we are in the series. If you've not been with us uh, for the last few weeks, or if you don't know the story, let me catch you up just quickly. Paul has been on three separate mission journeys. He's been planting house churches all around Asia Minor, which is kind of modern-day Turkey uh, and Greece. And then he heads back to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit leads him back to Jerusalem. And very quickly, he upsets a lot of the Orthodox Jews. Uh, he gets arrested. He gets beaten, then arrested. And he's about to be tortured by the Roman uh, soldiers who have kind of rescued him from being beaten to death. Uh, and he's about to be tortured to find out what he's done wrong. And then he pleads, Roman, I'm a Roman. And then he kind of plays that trump card and is entitled to a trial before Caesar. So then the story takes a bit of a turn because it kind of grinds to a bit of a halt. Paul maybe assumed that he would go straight to Rome to, uh, to be tried in front of Caesar, but in fact begins years of imprisonment. And all the while Paul is in prison, he's holding on to a promise from Jesus that one day he will indeed go to Rome. Do you remember in Acts 23, verse 11, when Jesus appears to him in prison, he's just been arrested, he's in prison, and Jesus promises, he says, it says, the, Lord, the following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Jesus has given him a promise that he will get to Rome. And Paul is holding on to this dream. I imagine his dream is something like that when he'll get to Rome, he'll stand in front of Caesar and testify to the ruler of the Roman Empire about the resurrected Jesus. That's his 
dream. That's what he's holding on to. That's what he's hoping for. But then he spends years and years in prison. He goes through various trials. He's left to rot. He's forgotten. And all the while, we're wondering, will he ever make it? Will he ever actually make it to Rome? And every chapter we've preached over the last few months, there's always been something stopping Paul getting to Rome, hasn't there? There's always been something stopping him. An ambush, false accusations, various idiotic rulers, local politics and infighting. And then last week, chapter 27, as he finally boards a boat to Rome, we think he's going to make it. He's setting sail for Rome. He's so close. And then what happens? If you remember from last week, the boat hits a violent storm. It was a terrible time to set sail, and Paul knew it. A terrible time, and the, the boat is, is, is shipwrecked. And at the end of chapter 27, if you have a look at that verse, the end of chapter 27, verse 44, we, we left it last week with Paul and 276 shipmates washed up, bedraggled on a beach somewhere in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. Honestly. This poor man. Let's pick up the story at the beginning of chapter 28. I'm going to read from verses 1 through to 9. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. So if you know your geography of the Med, it's an island just south of Italy. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul being the leader that he was, showing initiative, gathered up a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, well, this man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, the goddess justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul just shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. (laughs) There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us. Notice it says he welcomed us. So Luke, the author, the writer, is with Paul in his traveling party. He welcomed us to his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. Publius's father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and, after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. When this has happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They stay about three months on the island of Malta. Must have been a nice place uh, to get a bit of R&R. And then eventually, they, uh, having befriended some of the islanders, they load up another boat, a different boat, because the other one got smashed to bits. uh, And they're given loads of supplies uh, for the journey onto Rome. And then, look at verse 14. We read these climactic words. And so we came to Rome. And so we came to Rome. He's made it. Finally. He's finally made it to Rome after all this time, after all these years, after all these trials and crises and disasters. He's finally made it to Rome. 
And then we learn in verse 16 that Paul, because he's a prisoner, he ends up in house arrest um, with a soldier on guard. Moving forward through the story, we see a familiar pattern then play out. Because as usual, whenever Paul was traveling around, whenever he arrived in another different city, he would first prioritize meeting with the Jewish leaders. Usually, he would head straight to the local synagogue. But here, remember, he's under house arrest, so he can't do that. So instead, they come to him. Verses 17 and 23, if you're following it through. And then he shares with them. Of course he does. He shares with them about Jesus and about how he's the resurrected Messiah, wanting the Jews to believe that Jesus was the Son of God. It says in verse 23, he witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets. He tried to persuade them about Jesus. And then we see the usual response. Some of the Jews come to faith, others don't. Verse 24, some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. And then we see a familiar thing happen because the ones that didn't believe get really knocked and upset and put off by Paul, verses 25 to 27. And then in the final words of this epic book, spanning a total of over 30 years of mission from, remember, the early days of Jesus' ascension and his promised Holy Spirit that then fills the disciples at Pentecost to the gospel spreading from just those 120 or so uh, disciples to thousands and thousands of followers, followers of Jesus in every major city spread right across the first century known world. And then after all of that, the book ends with these words, verses 30 to 31. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Studying this passage over this, this last week or so, it struck me that here we have a textbook, stellar example of how to follow Jesus, of how to live the kingdom life amidst the storms and the struggles that are thrown at us. Paul wasn't just a great theologian or a brilliant wordsmith. His life is also a fantastic example and a model for us to follow. I was out for um, a run this week, and my ideas were kind of percolating away in my head, and I felt like the Lord would give me this um, uh, kind of little diagram in my head that kind of popped into my, into my mind um, to, to help bring some shape and form uh, to this passage. And so I'm going to walk you through um, a little hand-scribble note that I made um, on this diagram. So um, it kind of comes in three points. So the first one, my first point, uh, is that we see here in this story the sovereignty of God at play. Can you read my handwriting? Here in this passage, in the whole book of Acts, over the course of more than 30 years of miracles and, and incredible drama, over the course of the whole of human history that's happened and that will happen, we see the sovereignty of God. And by the sovereignty of God, what I mean is the plans and the purposes of God, that the big picture idea that God is, is Lord of all, that he is in control and that he has authority over all creation. The sovereignty of God, that, what I mean by that is that God is in charge of everything, and he is orchestrating everything. He knows the past, and he knows the future. He is sovereign. Paul trusted 
in the sovereignty of God. Paul knew that God was in control and that God had a plan. A plan for the whole of humanity, for all of history, but as part of that, that God had a plan just for him, for Paul. Paul's life plan involved an elite Jewish rabbinic education in the early years of his life, and then a dramatic conversion on the Damascus Road. You know the story, years of mission and preaching and church planting, several more years of letter writing. Probably wrote about half the New Testament, which is quite an impressive legacy. And then, ultimately, the plan was for him to go to Rome, to end his life in Rome. This was always God's plan for Paul. And this was his promise to Paul as well. Remember 23 verse 11, where Jesus appears to him and he says, to Rome you must go. And this is indeed what did come to pass. He did make it to Rome. God's plans and purposes for Paul did prevail. God is sovereign. He's in control and his purposes always prevail. Amen? But that does not mean that it was easy for Paul. Just because God has authority over everything and a plan, it doesn't mean that it will be plain sailing or without hurdles along the way. Between the promise of chapter 23 to Rome you must go and the fulfillment of that promise in chapter 28 here, and so we came to Rome. Paul has been beaten, ambushed, slandered, imprisoned, abused, mistreated, falsely accused, used as a political pawn, left to rot in jail, endured a fortnight at sea in a raging storm, and then shipwrecked. Surely at some point, wouldn't you think that at some point on that journey over all those years, Paul must have wondered if he'd ever make it to Rome. Oh, and after all that, after he's dragged himself onto the beach, starving and sodden and shattered. He helps make a fire, and he gets bitten by a snake. This seems like the most ridiculous, crazy detail, but this has been Paul's life. And then we see that weird response, don't we, where the, where the, where the people think, oh, of course, it's, you know, it's his comeuppance or whatever. He's just been, he, he, he must be a murderer. He must be cursed in some way because he's just survived a shipwreck and now he's been bitten by a poisonous snake. And then when he doesn't swell up or, or fall down dead, they're like, oh, well, maybe he's a god instead. It's a strange little interaction. But what I love about Paul's response and his attitude here is just this pure, unwavering trust in the sovereign plan of God. He's just been shipwrecked, but then he survives. But he knew that he would survive. He knew he would survive. Remember, don't, do you remember from the previous chapter in verse 27, an angel of God appears to Paul and says this. He says to him, he, sorry, he's testifying to the other side. He's saying, last night an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve came beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. You're going to go to Rome. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. God had said to Paul, you're going to survive the shipwreck. And he does. God had said, you're going to make it to Rome. You're going to stand trial in front of Caesar. And he does make it to Rome gives him so much courage and so much faith because he trusts 
in God's plan, trust in God's sovereign plan. And I can just imagine the kind of disdain in Paul with this snake dangling from his hand and he just kind of shakes it off and throws it into the fire. Listen, using Paul's example as an inspiration for us, I think the application is clear. Just like Paul, having knowledge of the sovereignty of God should fill us with tremendous courage and faith. You can trust in the authority and the control and the purposes of God. You can trust in his plan for your life. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to bring you a future and a hope to prosper you and not to harm you. You know that verse off by heart as well, don't you? If not, learn Jeremiah 29, 11, and no doubt with the experiences of this book in his mind, etched in his memory, Paul can write, I'm confident of this, quoting Philippians 2.6, that he who began a good work in you will carry on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God's got you. He's got a plan. His purposes always prevail. Or where in another letter he wrote, he reminds us that we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. There is such wonderful reassurance, is there not, church? in knowing that God is for us, that he is with us, that he is sovereign over all creation, that he has a plan for this world and he has a plan for your life. We can trust in God's plan and his promises 100% because his purposes always prevail. Amen? Come on. All right, next part of my little sketch. In the midst and kind of underneath this overarching trust that we can have in the sovereignty of God, life happens. Life happens. And life is full of hardships and full of trials and full of difficulties and full of storms. You see that there on the left over in there, full of storms. We all know that life is hard. That's just a point of fact. Life is hard. It's worth noting, too, that life isn't any easier for us just because we're Christians, just because we know that God loves us and we love God. Sometimes, in fact, it is harder. Jesus promised, didn't he, in this life you will have troubles. And ever since his conversion, Paul has had more than his fair share of troubles. He has had a hard life. Maybe you know the passage where Paul summarizes what his life following Jesus, what it's been like, and all the trials and the storms that he's faced. It's in 2 Corinthians 11. I'll just whiz through it, but he says this about his life. He says, I've been in prison. I've been flogged. I've been beaten with rods. I've been pelted with stones. I've been shipwrecked three times. I've been endangered from rivers and bandits, my fellow Jews and from Gentiles. I've been endangering the city and the country at sea from false believers. I have labored and toiled. I've gone without sleep. I've been hungry and thirsty and cold and naked. Lots and lots of storms that Paul has faced through lots and lots of years of following Jesus because life is hard. Life is difficult. It's full of storms. Now, maybe we haven't been through anything like what Paul has been through, but we have all faced storms in our life. Has anyone here, hands up, has anyone here had an easy life? Anyone? Has anyone never suffered loss or pain or grief or disaster? Anyone? What, none of you have had an easy life? I'm shocked. 
And as Christians, sometimes life can be even harder because there is a spiritual battle that is raging around us as well, isn't there? But look how Paul faces these trials, trusting in the sovereign plan of God. And also, look at my brilliant diagram, with heaps of resilience. Sometimes that resilience looks like courage. Sometimes it looks like faith. Sometimes it looks like perseverance if the trial is really long and stretched out, or maybe dogged determination. Sometimes, even like with a snake, a supreme confidence that can almost feel like a, like a kind of, I don't know, like a kind of disdain, just shrugging it off. I think Paul knows, really knows, like deep down in his knower, in his gut, he knows that God has got him in his grip, that God is leading him and that he'll pretty much get through anything because God is with him. He'll come out the other side. He's trusting in that. He's got so much resilience through the storms of life. And we see that in the midst of those trials and disasters, God never leaves Paul. He never, ever leaves Paul. He's always present. He's always comforting him. He's often revealing himself or, or speaking to Paul. And also note, he's often amazingly showing Paul favor. See that again in the diagram. Favor. It's crazy, but somehow, not only does Paul always survive these crises, he sometimes, some, somehow even seems to thrive, not just survive, but thrive in the midst or in spite of these crises. Like here, there's a massive storm that rages for two weeks, and the ship goes down, not in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of the deepest part of the Mediterranean, but just a few hundred feet from an island, the island of Malta. It's in the incredible favor and providence of God in Paul's life. And then he gets bitten by a vicious snake, a poisonous viper. And the, the likely effect of that would be swelling or paralysis or, or death. But he's left with nothing but just the two prick marks where the fangs have pierced his skin. Incredible favor. Look, following Jesus, it's not easy, is it? Living the kingdom life, it isn't easy, but it absolutely is a life of favor. Through all the storms that you face in your life, God will show you favor. I've seen this pretty much all the way through my entire life of following Jesus. All the time, I've got way too many examples to share with you in this moment of favor, often at every step and often in the midst of storms. Sometimes people have commented to me about how blessed I seem to be, about how doors seem to open for me. People have said, oh, you must be God's favorite. And I am. But you are too. <laughs> but that's how it can feel sometimes, can't it? following Jesus, you're like, I feel unusually blessed and favored. This is, this is remarkable. Other people who maybe struggle for language to describe it will reflect on things that have happened to me, and they're like, you're so jammy. Do you remember that expression from school? I don't know if people still use it, but like, it's that idea of like having this unusual kind of providence or luck. They can't kind of, but they're like, you're such a jammy, whatever. <laughs> Many of you know our story. Many of you know that since we've been in Bournemouth these last 10 years of Em's chronic illness for six years of 
crazy battles we face with our kids' health and schooling. Our son has basically been an insomniac for the last 10 years and lost her dad. And in spite of all the trials, and those are just some of the headlines, in spite of all the trials, we have seen so much favor and blessing in the midst of it. (laughs) Coastline bingo, when will aid cry? Um... (laughs) So many stories of favor and blessing in the midst of M being unwell and everyone saying to us, don't have another child and, and, and struggling to get pregnant for the third time. Like just we got, we had the most beautiful little baby and Talia is the healthiest. Like she literally just bounces around everywhere. She's so healthy and, and, and our life was so hard at that time. Planting coastline in the midst of it and all the incredible favor that we've seen, all the many miracles, the provision of our family home. Like, it's insane that we live in a five-bedroom house two minutes walk from the clifftop in Southbourne when I don't earn hardly any money. Like, I've just been gifted this beautiful thing. It's amazing. So many stories of God's goodness in the midst of the storms of life. That's just what it's like to live the kingdom life. You just have favor because you're following Jesus. Most recently, just a little story from, from planning our sabbatical, which in itself was an incredible blessing, but our sabbatical was planned for a couple of years. The pandemic hit, everyone thought, okay, it's not going to happen. I've got so many friends whose planned sabbaticals were cancelled. But for whatever reason, our plans to go to New Zealand, when the borders were shut to everybody, every tourist, for some reason they were open to us because we happen to be permanent residents. My kids have got passports. However, our, resident, our residency visas were in our old UK passports and our, our child's New Zealand passports had expired and Talia didn't have the right visa. And we, I'd busted through every door and every obstacle that had come in our way. It was, our sabbatical was off, then it was on again, it was off, then it was on again, it was off, then it was on again. I was just donkey kicking through doors, like praying my little way through all of these, uh, these, these obstacles. And then the final what the door, I couldn't get open. And I remember praying about it and just thinking, I think it's, I think it's scuppered. Like I lit, every email, every phone call, I literally, everyone, because of the pandemic and lockdown, every, all the immigration officials were, 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 weren't working. And basically it was just like, computer says no, you can't come. And then I happened to be put back in touch with a friend of mine through an online uh, coaching class that I was doing, who was a pastor in New Zealand, and we reconnected, and we got chatting, and, I, and he said, oh, look, if I can help you from my end, I'd love to help you. And, I, and he said, if you ever get stuck, I'm like, I'm stuck now. We're literally so close. We've got everything lined up, tickets, quarantine, everything, like, all, like just amazing blessing of all the places that we're going to stay, but I can't get in, because I can't renew our visas. And he was like, oh, I know a guy who works for an immigration company in Auckland. He'll be able to get you in. So I was like, great. He's like, do you want his number? I was like, yes, give me his number. Like, I need help. And I contacted him. We had a various uh, uh, online meetings. And he was like, Aid, I can help you, you know, for a small fee. I can help you. But he said, you would never be able to open the door from your side. But from my side, it's easy. Just take out this little wedge. There you go. It's open now. And I opened it. It was just incredible, God's favor. And again, so jammy. Because I'm following Jesus. That's what life is like, living in the kingdom. And this familiar pattern gives me, and it should give you, so much faith, right? So much confidence, so much ability to trust, so much courage. Because when God has said something to us, given us a promise or whatever, we can be determined and say, no, God has spoken. He's got me. It's going to happen. God will open a way. Paul also knew that storms 
come to an end. Storms do come to an end. The calm does come. Disasters do pass. Suffering does ease. Some storms are over pretty quickly, like a momentary crisis, but some do last a long, long time. Sometimes it's years, but storms do end. I had a beautiful story, I think it was a couple of years ago now, of an example of this. To do with healing. And it was a story that I got wind of of a, a local church in the, the States where this kind of like, in, in their town, this little healing revival broke out. And it all started with the church wanting to gather because the pastor's daughter had got cancer. I think she was in her 30s. And the church met to pray for her again and again. And in these meetings, I don't know, I would guess several hundred people praying for this, this particular woman, other people started to get healed. And then the more meetings they held, the more people started to get healed. And this kind of crazy healing revival started to happen. And they were just like, well, just keep on holding meetings and more and more people getting healed. And in the midst of all of this kind of healing revival happening, do you know one of the people who didn't get healed was the pastor's daughter. And I, I read his kind of pastoral response. He, he, he posted something to his church. I, I, I couldn't find it, but the, 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 the paraphrase from my recollection was something that he said something along the lines of this. He said, look, this is a move of God. We can't explain it. We can't explain it, but we will embrace it. And then he said this. He said, and it's okay if my daughter isn't healed yet because she will be. And he said, maybe, maybe she will get healed in the coming days miraculously. Maybe she will get healed but over time, with prayer and with medical treatment, or maybe she'll be healed when Jesus returns and she gets her perfectly healthy resurrection body. But either way, she will be healed. And honestly, I read that, and I was undone, because I was like, that's what it looks like to have resilience and to trust the favor of God through the storms of life. Isn't that remarkable? Listen, let me encourage you. Well, let me blow my nose first. Let me encourage you this morning. Your storm, if you're watching online, your storm, your storm will pass. I promise you it will. Some storms pass real quick, like a car crash or losing a job. It happens and suddenly it's over and it's horrible, but it's passed and then you have to deal with the after effects. Some take time to pass, like a healing from from recovery from surgery or the loss of a relationship or a loved one. Some, takes, some take years. Some storms you're still facing right now. The storm is still raging in your life, but your storm will pass. I promise you, your storm will pass. I have faith that your storm will pass. And sometimes you just need someone to stand in the gap for you and to say, 
I have faith that your storm will pass. That happened to us when Em was chronically ill and my friend Lance, who, whose daughter, who's also called Emma, had a chronic illness. And he said to me, she was healed and I've got faith for you that just like my Emma got healed, your Emma will get healed. And I felt like I hardly had any faith left. You know, on those moments when you're just like, you're totally strung out and at the end of yourself, you've prayed all your best, best prayers. And he had faith for me in that moment. Some of you need to hear this today because you are in the middle of a storm, an extended period of crisis. Hear me. The storm will pass. And in the meantime, you can face the storm with resilience, knowing that God will keep on showing you favor, loving you and providing for you and walking with you and working with you until the calm does come. Amen? And lastly, quickly. Through all of the trials and the storms, Paul never loses sight of his mission. Everywhere he goes, what does he do? Have a look at my diagram. He shares Jesus. Whether he's in a storm or a calm, whether he's free or imprisoned, whether he's in front of friends or enemies, whether he's rested or beaten up, whether he's well-fed or hungry, what does he do? Share about Jesus. And here in this passage, it's more of the same. In a raging storm, what does he do? Testify about Jesus. A snake bites him. What does he do? Testify about Jesus. Publius, his dad, gets sick. What does he do? Goes pray for him, gets healed. What does he do? Share about Jesus. Everywhere he goes, everywhere he do, whatever he does, he shares about Jesus. Whatever the circumstance, he's sharing about Jesus. And then, because Publius, his dad, got, got well, the entire rest of the island's sick comes to Paul. And it says, just casually in the passage, and they all got healed just for good measure. And then he finally makes it to Rome, and what does he do? Meets with the Jews and shares about Jesus. And then what does he do for the remaining two years of his home imprisonment? As people come and visit him, and he's writing letters, what does he do? Shares about Jesus. Again and again, he shares about Jesus. And again, we can learn from Paul's example here, a masterclass of what it looks like to live the kingdom life. What should we do as we journey through life, whether in the storm or the calm? Whether we're, or whatever the circumstances, what do we do? Share about Jesus. We can tell our stories. Tell your story. We can tell our stories of our trust and confidence in his sovereign plan. We can testify to God's favor and blessing and provision, even in the midst of the worst storm or trial. We can share the hope and the joy and the freedom that we found in the gospel, whatever our situation or circumstance, because just like Paul, we too, Remember Philippians 4. We too have learned the secret of being content, whatever the circumstances. And just like Paul, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And we can share about Jesus in any situation. Amen? But, did you notice? Did you notice at the end of the book, the story doesn't end quite like how you might think or how we perhaps expect it to, how it should end. Acts doesn't finish with a happy ending. It, it, it ends without fanfare or without climax. Maybe we were expecting to read about Paul speaking to vast audiences in squares, packed squares and amphitheaters. Maybe we were expecting a grand trial in front of Caesar. 
but none of that happens. It's not written about in the book. Maybe, familiar as we are with great storytelling of movies and box sets, maybe we're expecting the story to finish with a happy ending, a grand finale, some great triumph, but it just sort of ends. With Paul probably fairly content, happily sharing the gospel with anyone and everyone who comes to visit him, writing letters to his mentees and, and, to, his, uh, and to his friends in the, in the churches, the churches that he's planted, waiting, waiting, waiting to be called in front of Caesar for trial. And I think, just to close, I think this might be helpful for us too, because our stories might not finish how we hope they might. Maybe we won't have a nice, happy ending or a big finale, but whatever does happen now and in the future, whatever happens today or for however many days we've got left, we can learn from Paul how to live this kingdom life, following Jesus every day, sharing him as we go. We live it trusting in the sovereignty of God that he's large and in charge, that he has a plan, that he's made promises to us, and that his purposes always prevail. We live knowing that storms may come because life is hard, but we face those storms with resilience and perseverance, and we hold on to the hope that we will see the favor of God in our lives time and time and time again. The storms may last longer than we think or hope, but they will pass. Your storm will pass. And all the while, we keep close to Jesus and we keep on sharing Jesus with everyone we meet. That's our posture. That's our, wit our witness. And that, my friends, is how you live the kingdom life. Trusting, hoping, praying, sharing, repeat. Trusting, hoping, sharing, praying, repeat, repeat. Repeat. Why don't you stand and we'll pray?